Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Glad you could be with us, and thanks for letting us be part of your day. Here's what we're going to be talking about. We'll have Arlen Suderman on with INTLFC Stone talking about the markets as we're starting to get into harvest and also what's going on with China, what they're buying, what they're still not buying. We'll get into all that. Colin Woodall has been named the new CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. He'll be joining us on the program today. And we're also going to talk with the president of the Dairy Business Association in the state of Wisconsin about proposed legislation in that state to address the labeling of imitation dairy products. That's coming up later in the program. But right now, we're joined by Phil Brashier with AgriPulse Communications. Phil, good to talk with you again. Yep, good to be here. Uh, let's look at what's going on in the House. It looks like they, as they work on a spending bill, they finally got this addressed about whether or not they're going to fund the CCC. Uh, Colin Peterson and others, uh, ag leaders, got that one worked out, right? Uh, they did. They did. They, uh, the House Democratic leaders had uh, considered denying a request uh, from the White House to, uh, to replenish the borrowing authority that USDA is using to uh, pay uh, to, or to make these uh, trade assistance payments under the market facilitation program. It's also the same account they use to make uh, you know, commodity program payments and conservation reserve program payments, all, go, all of which go out in October. So they're running up, uh, USDA is running up against uh, their borrowing limit on that with all of this uh, money going out combined. They're seemingly... Uh, <laughs> uh, limitless checkbook was was reaching a limit. So they've got that address. So how far away are they from getting something uh, done on, on the spending bill? I know the, the Senate's working on their side. What's How close are we getting this thing well, resolved? Yeah, this has to uh, pass uh, both chambers um, and get signed into law by October 1st. Doesn't seem to be any real appetite for a shutdown, but... Um, the House is acting first. It goes to the Senate. Uh, we'll see what uh, happens uh, happens there. Uh, the Senate has its own issues trying to uh, move bills. Uh, Democrats have been uh, resisting moving appropriations bills over there, which what this uh, House continuing resolution will do will buy some time to, to finish work on those uh, fiscal 2020 spending bills that the Senate's having trouble with. <laughs> this is all coming to a, to a head here with uh, October 1st of the new fiscal year staring us in the face. There's also a difference on um, this controversial move, these research agencies from Washington, D.C. to Kansas City, uh, difference between the House and Senate on funding that. Yeah, that's going to play out this fall. Uh, the, uh, the House uh, spending bill for USDA, which passed uh, a couple of months uh, ago or so, would prohibit the USDA from moving the Economic Research Service and the National Institute of Food and Agriculture to Kansas City, or, or most of the employees of those two agencies to Kansas City. The Senate bill, which uh, just started moving this week, uh, the full committee is going to, full appropriations committee is uh, debating it today would actually do the opposite. It would provide $25 million for USDA to carry out that relocation. So uh, 
we're gonna have a bit of we got a bit of a difference there, and that's going to have to be resolved uh, at some point this fall. Now, what's going on with this effort by some House Democrats to want to include in USMCA uh, requiring the U.S. to get back into the Paris Climate Accord? Uh, is, is that going to amount to anything? I mean, obviously, the president's not going to go along with that. Uh, how serious are these House Democrats on that? Uh, that's going to be interesting uh, to see how that plays out. Now, they have a, uh, obviously, it's a, maybe uh, primarily some negotiating leverage. Uh, obviously, the White House really wants to get this agreement uh, through. Democrats know that. Um, this is an issue that's been only introduced lately. Um, maybe maybe it's more leverage. We'll see. They're also under some pressure. Count, uh, Democrats are also under counter pressure from farm groups uh, uh, and others. And um, it's to get this agreement passed. So, you know, there are a number of rural Democrats, um, several of them just to their first term, who uh, would like to get this uh, get this agreement through? So we'll see how this plays out. There's a lot of negotiate public uh, negotiating going on uh, right now. Uh, so could be leverage. It uh, remains to be seen how hard they push it, but it's something that's been been dropped in here uh, only recently. Apart from that, are they making real progress on moving towards a vote on USMCA? They they really. Seem to be moving. Um, last week, uh, uh, Bob Lighthizer, the U.S. Trade Representative, delivered a proposal to a set of proposals to the uh, to House Democrats uh, for resolving their concerns with labor, environmental standards, and so forth. Uh, Democrats saw that as progress. Um, uh, they're countering uh, meeting possibly today. Um, on that as well. The meetings continued. All signs are pointing toward progress and, and uh, a desire on both sides to get it done. Lighthizer has privately been uh, uh, pretty optimistic about it. Uh, Speaker Pelosi has sounded uh, reasonably positive about it. So uh, you know, all the signs are that they are making uh, progress. They certainly are talking. So we continue to wait for this biofuels package, RFS announcement from the White House, but it sounds like more meetings are still going on. Yeah, senators from the uh, the refinery oil states uh, are, are meeting at the White House uh, today. Um, they obviously would like to head off uh, what uh, the White, uh, President Trump and the White House have been discussing in terms of uh, re- reallocating um, these uh, um, gallons of uh, ethanol usage that have been waived um, for small refineries. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, all sides are that the president, uh, I think just about everybody in his administration would like to get this uh, uh, this issue resolved. But uh, it, 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 you know, it's, somebody's got to be unhappy. Yeah, it, they're trying to find ways to make both sides happy. And, wow, yeah. even, even though Senator Grassley told us earlier in the week he thinks there can be a win-win on this, uh, that's going to be interesting to see if they, you know, that win is going to be in the eye of the beholder, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. All right, Phil, good to talk with you. Lots going on. We'll stay in touch. Thank you very much. Yeah.
Yeah, good to be here. Thanks. Take care. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications in Washington, D.C. All right, coming up next, we'll talk with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone, take a look at uh, what export business is happening, and as we're getting into harvest, uh, how much will these uh, harvest results impact the markets one way or another? We'll talk it over with Arlen Suderman. Coming up next, stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Your diesels are your engines of prosperity, so they deserve the best treatment. And with FS Fuel and Lubricant, you'll give them the gold standard. Diesel X Gold High Performance Fuel plus Suprex Gold ESP Engine Oil. Formulated to work together, they'll keep your diesels running longer and stronger, from farming to construction to trucking. Visit FSGoldStandard.com or talk with your local FS Energy Specialist. FS, bringing you what's next. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, let's take a look at the ag economy. Joining us now is John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, good to talk with you. I guess if we look at the ag economy, you'd have to look at it in two ways. One with the MFP payments that came out, and what would it be if we did not have those MFP payments? It, it certainly is. USDA last week updated their their forecast for farm economy in 2019. When we first saw that forecast uh, earlier in the year, and back in March, it was at $69 billion. Uh, and a- after that, the, the government came in and announced a very second, uh, second round of trade aid. We also passed a disaster bill. And so now USDA's projected farm income in 2019 at $88 billion, quite a significant difference uh, than where we were back in March. And if you take all those trade aid payments, farm bill payments off the table, uh, farm income in 2019 is still uh, in the bottom 50%. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk it over with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, thank you for joining us. Let's look at the business side of things, what we're moving. Uh, we know China's been a little more active. How active? What are they buying? What are we not selling yet at this point? Well, we're seeing the soybean sales confirmed that they talked about buying, and, of course, the reports were that maybe five Five million metric tons of soybeans would be purchased, which would be around 180 million bushels. And uh, we've seen a fraction of that purchase so far, probably around 720,000 metric tons. Um, so, and, and there have been some purchases by unknown destinations. What we're hearing from private buyers amid all the talk about waiving the tariffs as my Chinese employees have been scouring the government websites and we have yet to see the official notice. And our private buyer customers are telling us they have not received a notice of the tariff waves, and so they're staying away from the purchases because they fear even if they make purchases um, that things will change in this volatile atmosphere before they're shipped or before they arrive in China. So the purchases thus far look to be primarily state buyers. Uh, we did see some strong corn sales in this week's report, uh, and most of those are going to, a big chunk of those are going to Mexico, and I think that's good to see that confirmation of Mexico still being a good customer uh, of U.S. corn. And uh, it was really a solid week all the way around uh, between soybeans and corn, but uh, mostly anticipated, too. What about pork? Pork, no new purchases of pork this week. Uh, it did take a uh, shipment of another 5,900 metric tons, um, and so it continues to take shipment. Uh, to put a little bit of perspective on that, it released about 10,000 metric tons from its frozen reserves today uh, because of the doubling of pork prices to record high pork prices domestically. That's a fraction of a day's supply. And so if that's all it can release, that tells us that the reserve's probably not that big is what we've been thinking in the first place. African swine fever continues to spread. It's now in South Korea. I mean, uh, this, I guess we don't know the scope of this, just how far this could go. I think that it was big news this week, as I'm sure you reported, uh, with South Korea having now a couple of outbreaks. Um, because that means now that in that whole region of East Asia, only Japan has avoided the disease to this part. Now, it's surrounded by water, but the Philippines was as well, and we had confirmation that they had the disease earlier this month. Um, so basically, the disease is over almost all of East Asia and in Russia and in Eastern Europe. Uh, with the largest hog farm uh, of 95,000 head in Ukraine being hit with the disease. So this disease is now so widespread as a regional problem that uh, it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, to bring under control in the absence of a vaccine. So it's going to come down now to continuing to spread uh, until we get a vaccine that's effective and can be distributed throughout the region, and that leaves the United States and North America at risk as well. But if we can avoid it, if we can keep it out, uh, 
are we talking about uh, really some big demand for potential U.S. pork sales? I think the primary limiting factor is going to be infrastructure. Uh, infrastructure for shipping the pork to Asia, uh, to China and to other countries. South Korea is uh, imports a third of its pork supply. United States is one of its main suppliers that has South Korea competing against uh, China to get pork supplies. Initially, they'll have more supplies as they uh, speed up slaughter, trying to control the disease, but then the shortfall comes later. Same thing we saw with China. Uh, we've already lost at least a quarter of the world's hog supply. And if you look at what's just been lost in that part of the world, it's, it's approaching the levels of total pork, beef, veal, and poultry trade on an annual basis. So there's no way to make up the difference. So you would anticipate that that is going to result in a, a significant increase in U.S. pork exports as this becomes known, as the supplies start to tighten domestically. That raises U.S. prices to the consumer, causing a shift to consumer preference to beef and poultry, raising beef and poultry prices as well. That's going to be more of a lagging effect into 2020, but that's where we think we're going. In the absence of a vaccine, we're probably looking at a five- to seven-year cycle here. Talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. All right, Arlen, we're starting to get into harvest uh, each day seems to bring a few more combines out into the fields. Uh, the question I've been asking, will these early harvest results, and I've heard some good ones better than expected, and then I've heard some poor ones too, so that variability that we expect, how does this impact markets through the harvest season? Uh, probably not a whole lot at first because the market is heavily dominated by the funds who are basically saying, we'll believe USDA. And to this point, they've shown that they're willing to sell the rallies, as we saw on Tuesday, in order to defend their short positions. And so they want to see confirmation from USDA. The earliest harvested corn and soybeans are generally the earliest planted corn and soybeans. And the earliest planted corn and soybeans are generally those where they could get on some well-drained soils. So you would anticipate that that would be your best overall crops is the early harvested ones. And the yield results that we're getting in here, we're hearing, uh, I, I would say, about 10% equal to or better than last year. I would say about 10% are down roughly equivalent to what USDA says we're going to be down from last year. And I would say about 75 to 80% are significantly below last year's levels. Confidence, in, as you indicated, in these early harvest results tends to be low. They do tend to set the tone, though. It's hard to correlate early harvest results with final yield, but the correlation is pretty good with the trend, and the trend is what you would expect to be the best yielding fields are generally disappointing. Um, we're also now hearing more reports out of the north. We were thinking, we were hoping that with the warm fall that we're having, that that would give the crops more time to kind of catch up. We're hearing of uh, uh, late soybeans that are sloughing off or aborting the top 20% of the pods, flat pods or half-filled pods, saying, oh, that sun angle is getting so low, the days are getting short enough, I've got to finish up and mature, I don't have enough energy to support all these pods so I'm going to abort the latest one so that I can finish with the rest. 
and we've still got some areas, especially in the northern, some of the northern states, too much rain. I mean, kind of the, the crop went in wet, in wet conditions, may come out in wet conditions. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, we're starting to see river flooding being a problem again as well. And it's just been a very unusual year. You're exactly right, and I, I know there's people who would, who uh, are looking at uh, the harvest opportunities ahead and, and looking at those heavy rains and saying, please don't do any more damage. Um, but unfortunately, the weather is what it is. So are you expecting any harvest rally or not? Well, I am, but as I said in June, I think it's going to be a late rally. It'll probably be October when it happens. Um, I continue to believe, from, and I'm speaking as an agronomist, a certified crop advisor in my past, um, that you can't put the crops at these kind of conditions without having a, 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 negative, a larger negative adverse effect than what USDA is reporting. But I also stated in June that the type of situation, the type of impact it would have would be very difficult to see until you actually get into the field and harvest, that the crops will look much better than what they are and they will look like they're going to yield better than they do. So I, I don't have, as a result, I don't have and didn't expect to have data to back that up. I hope I'm wrong. I hope the yields are bigger. Um, but I, as an, a former agronomist, I'm anticipating that the yields are going to disappoint and probably much more significantly than USDA is currently indicating, um, and that we'll, we'll get that uh, market response as we get later in the year. Real quick, what about planting in South America? Uh, overall, we've started in southern Brazil uh, as anticipated, and that should supply some of the early export needs that uh, China will be looking for by late January, early February. It's been dry in uh, more central areas of Brazil, which would be more the northern part of the belt. They are expecting some rains here as we get into late September, which would allow them to start planting pretty much on time. Last year was an early start, so that's what we tend to compare with. But it looks like it's going to be com uh, comparable to a typical year. But we need to see those rains verify because they've been quite dry, and we need to see, we'll need to see follow-up rains. Always good to talk with you. Thanks, Arlen. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Up next, the new CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Whittall, joins us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95... I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me. Your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com 
Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Export sales of soybeans totaling 1.73 million metric tons for the week, ending September 12th. According to USDA this morning, 593,200 tons going to China. No new pork sales to China, reported by USDA in its export sales report today. More attention will be turning to the cattle on feed report coming out on Friday afternoon. Average trade guess for on feed September 1st compared to a year ago, 99.4%. Placements, 94.5%. Marketings in August, 98.4% of a year ago. Cash cattle country, slow to start this morning. Asking prices around 103, bids at 101 in Kansas. Saw some trade yesterday on a light basis, 101, $2 higher than last week's weighted average. October live cattle down 37 cents at $100 even per hundred weight. Feeder cattle October down 30 cents at 138.10. Lean hogs December up 35 at 68.15. For the grain and oil seed sector in soybean futures, an hour into the day, new crop November up a penny at 889 and three quarters. January up a penny and a half at 903 and three quarters. December corn down a half cent, 370 and three quarters. March steady at 382 and a half. For the wheats, Chicago December down a penny and a quarter at 488 and a quarter. Kansas City December steady at 409 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat. December up seven and a half at 520 and three quarters of a cent. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow 95 points higher. NASDAQ composite up 44, the S&P up 11. October crude oil in New York up 50 cents a barrel. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Happy to be joined now by the new CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall. Colin, thanks for joining us. Congratulations. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the challenge, and I appreciate you having me on this morning. Well, you're the new CEO, but you're not new to the beef industry or to NCBA. How many years now? 
15 years with NCBA, and all of those were in the Washington, D.C. office. For the past 10, I have been the head of our operations in Washington, D.C., and of course that's been a great opportunity to work on all of the policy priorities of NCBA's membership. And now in this new role, I'll still have a hand in, in that entire operation as far as our policy and making sure we're delivering on behalf of our members, but also spend more time focused on recruiting for new membership uh, here at NCBA and also spending a lot of time on the work that we do as the largest contractor to the National Beef Checkoff. Okay, lots of issues want to discuss with you, get your thoughts on. Let's start with trade because that's such a huge one. Uh, and we'll start with USMCA. It looks like they're making progress, although we've had this little wrinkle now with some House Democrats wanting to attach uh, a requirement uh, that the U.S. get back in the Paris uh, Climate Accord, which obviously the president's not going to do. Is this going to be a, a big uh, obstacle or or not? I don't think so. I, I think what they're doing is they're trying to see how much leverage they actually have in this discussion. I think that what we're currently seeing is still a, a very warm and uh, cordial relationship between the working group that the House has set up on the Democratic side and Ambassador Lighthizer. You know, when he submitted his report a week or so ago, they very easily could have said, no, uh, you're not willing to help us, so we're just done with this discussion. And that's not what happened. What they did is said, hey, we welcome some of these thoughts. There's more we want to try to accomplish. So this is a negotiation. This is give and take. And I think everything is still on the table. So we remain optimistic that we will find a pathway forward. And I'm one that believes that we will have this vote before the end of the year. And then we're also close, evidently, to getting this deal finalized with Japan. We heard yesterday from the U.S. Meat Export Federation about, uh, among other things, uh, it'll be a good market for beef tongue. Uh, so there is, this should open up some good opportunities for the U.S. beef industry. This is a huge opportunity for us. You know, Traditionally, Japan has been one of our top markets, if not the top market, as it has been the past couple of years. But we started to see some of that market share erode because of our decision, the president's decision, to pull us out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, TPP. And by doing so, he gave all of our competitors into Japan a tariff advantage over us. So basically, they were just going to be able to sell their product cheaper. And we have seen that hit us. And those competitors are Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. So what this deal is going to do is it's going to put us all on a level playing field. So the tariff will be the same. Tariff is nothing more than a tax. And we know that when we can hit that level playing field, that we'll beat our competitors when it comes to taste every time. And that's what we're looking forward to, is to keep Japan as a top market for us, to keep it as the number one market, and to make sure that we don't allow our competitors to get that toehold. And that's what this is going to do. And from what we understand, we very well could see a final announcement on this next week, Mike. Very good. We're talking with the new CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall. Colin, uh, the spread of African swine fever, uh, it will impact uh, beef demand too, won't it? I mean, there's going to be a demand for protein in the, in these countries. Now, there is going to be a demand for protein, and we do think it's an opportunity that we can capitalize on. But we also need to make it very clear that we're not interested in capitalizing on the, the misfortune of our friends in the pork industry. Uh, we're going to be able to, to sell product, there's no doubt about it, but more importantly, we want to make sure that we continue to work with our friends, the National Pork Producers Council, and work with USDA to ensure that we're doing everything we can to keep African swine fever out of the United States 
and more importantly, to help our global partners try to control this and keep it from spreading, because it will have an impact on movement uh, of, of all livestock, I believe, if we ever get it here in the United States, and we just can't afford that. So while, yes, there may be some opportunities for us, uh, right now we are more concerned with doing what we can to, to help the pork industry fight back and, and protect all of ourselves from uh, any foreign animal disease coming into the United States. Colin, can you bring us up to date uh, what's going on? I know you're watching closely the markets, any market manipulation uh, possibilities uh, since that plant fire. Uh, kind of bring us up to date on that situation and what you've seen so far. This is still one of the hottest topics that we're dealing with right now, and understandably so. There is a lot of pain out there with cattle producers who have lost money, who are continuing to lose money. And the simple question is, is why? And there have been many market analysts out there that have talked about fundamentals, but I think given the volume of calls that I know that I've had and the volume of calls that Secretary Purdue and others at USDA have had, that's why he decided to move forward with this investigation. And so NCBA is supporting this investigation. And what we have done is we've asked them to be as thorough as possible. We want them to do this as quickly as possible. But I think the biggest thing is making sure that we can see a definitive answer, you know, what really happened there, and hopefully they can deliver that. They're in the process of doing data collection right now. Uh, we've also asked them to make sure they're reaching out to market analysts and land-grant university economists to get their perspective on this in order to really make sure they've, they've got the entire picture of what transpired. And I really think until we get that report, it's going to be hard to take any other actions here other than just doing what we can on things such as opening up new markets markets and everything else that hopefully will help support the cattle market. So what what are you looking at specifically or looking for? Is there anything in particular you're looking for in this investigation? We haven't seen a smoking gun yet, Mike. Uh, USDA has not seen that either. You know, of course, so there's a lot of concerns that are focused directly on the packers. Uh, but as we have told our membership, we know there's a lot of emotion right now. When you lose money, it gets emotional fast. But when we're talking about regulation, when we're talking about antitrust, that has to be based on fact. And that's what we're trying to do is cooperate with USDA so those facts can come out and hopefully then drive whatever next steps may be appropriate. What is happening other than the investigation in wake of that fire and uh, to try to reestablish well, we know that the Packers have done quite a bit to try to absorb uh, all of that excess uh, uh, packing capacity that we lost with the, the Tyson Holcomb plant. And we know that Tyson is also working very hard to get that plant up and running. I still believe that they are looking at an end of the year, maybe early 2020. But they have already opened up portions of that plant. So they are uh, bringing in uh, primals, some primals, and they are fabbing, fabbing out some of those primals there. They're also doing uh, some ground beef production. So it, it is starting to come back online slowly. And uh, our message back to Tyson has been, hey, keep us posted on what's going on, keep the industry posted on what's going on, and uh, try to get this done as quickly as possible. And have those lines of communication stayed open? Have, have you been hearing from them? They have. So Tyson has been very open and upfront with us on what's going on, what the status is, and we're trying to make sure that we turn around and get that out to our members. Okay. Uh, one other topic before we let you go, and that's this uh, the climate issue. And um, 
you know, there's a, obviously it's a big debate. It's going to be part of the, the presidential campaign already is, and we're going to hear more about it. Uh, oftentimes, agriculture in general gets targeted on this. The beef industry in particular gets targeted on this. Uh, what needs to be the message from agriculture and the beef industry on this? The elevator message is simple. We're part of the solution, not part of the problem. Because what we do is we take a foodstuff being grass that humans can't eat, we take a little sunlight, and we turn it into high-quality protein. And uh, very few other uh, animals on the planet have that superpower. And we're going to start talking more about that. But as you mentioned, uh, this is still a hot issue. And we were a little concerned yesterday because there was a group that came to town called Farmers and Ranchers for the Green New Deal. And we're trying to make sure that uh, they don't go in and try to cut some sort of deal here that ends up with more regulation on agriculture. So everybody needs to keep a close eye on this group because we don't believe that they're looking out for our best interests collectively as agriculture. Yeah, I wondered about that. I mean, when they say they want agriculture to be part of the discussion, that's good. But are they uh, are they going to go a, a different direction here that could come back and uh, put a, more of a burden on agriculture? And that's the concern, because they want to support the Green New Deal. We don't believe the Green New Deal can be fixed in a way that helps us. So while you're right, their whole notion of us being a part of this discussion is good, uh, the mechanism they're using we do not believe is helpful. And one more thing before we let you go. Your reaction to all the attention, all the publicity, all the money going into these uh, plant and cell-based products? We're going to continue to fight them, and we're going to be louder in our fighting moving forward here because they continue to market themselves by disparaging us. And I tell you, if, if your product, uh, the only marketing plan that you have for your product is to disparage your competition, you can't really talk about why yours is better without talking about how bad the competition is, and you probably don't really have a good product. And I think everybody in the livestock industry would uh, would agree with that anyway. So we have got to fight back on them, uh, stop them from disparaging us, and more importantly, work with USDA and FDA to do everything we can to prevent them from using the term beef. So you're going to see more and more from NCBA over the next several weeks as we roll out more plans there to combat what has been an unnecessary attack on us and one that we're just not going to stand for anymore, Mike. Good talking with you, uh, Colin. Congratulations on the well-deserved promotion. Look forward to working with you in your new role as CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Thank you. Good to talk with you. Talk again soon. Thanks for having me. All right. Colin Woodall, CEO of NCBA. Up next, a look at uh, some proposed legislation in the state of Wisconsin to address labeling of imitation dairy products. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. 
and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we have talked before about the potential benefits of gene editing and livestock production, but there is a, a battle going on about oversight of that technology. Should it be with FDA where it's at, or should it be moved to USDA like many in the livestock industry, like the National Pork Producers Council would like to see? Let's talk about it with Dr. Dan Kovich, who is Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. Dan, thanks for joining us again. Why do you feel it's best to have the oversight with USDA? What we're concerned about is what is actually getting approved. Is it the edit or this altered genome, and how does that affect how the descendants of these animals are going to be regulated on farms and ranches? That's where we feel that that post-approval piece that the USDA has the expertise and, more importantly, the existing authority to regulate the descendants of gene-edited animals. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, Immigration Reform, Reducing Regulations, Trade, New Technology, as well as Infrastructure and Health Care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment... 
all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So we just heard from Colin Whittall, the new CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Uh, he was very said very strongly that we're going to see uh, quite a response from the beef industry soon. They're going to really push back, fight back against these cell and plant-based products. And uh, the beef industry is going to step up their efforts uh, to get uh, their message out. Uh, Along those lines, in the state of Wisconsin, legislation has been proposed to stop the use of misleading labels on imitation milk and dairy products. And here to tell us about that is Tom Crave, president of the Dairy Business Association in Wisconsin and a farmer and cheesemaker in Wisconsin. Tom, thank you for joining us. Uh, Tell us about this proposed legislation in Wisconsin. Well, it is being proposed by three legislators, uh, introduced it here just last week. And it would require that any product that is not truly milk or cheese be not be able to use the milk or cheese label. It's, we think it's very simple. Uh, words do matter. Milk is milk. Cheese is cheese. And we're just trying to have transparency for the consumers to be able to make an informed decision when they are buying products. Because you do believe, right, uh, and the studies are showing this, there is consumer confusion because of these products and the, uh, the advertisement on these products. There sure is. Just, uh, you know, when you visit with some friends, they, they don't understand it. And uh, about a quarter of the consumers mistakenly think plant-based products labeled as cheese actually contain milk. And about a third of the com- consumers think that the plant-based imitation cheese contains protein even though the imitations have little to no protein. So uh, people really are confused. And uh, I I think that's part of marketing, to try to get people to uh, question their decisions so they might switch to something else. So tell us about this legislation that's been proposed in Wisconsin. Is there support for it? I think it's gained support. Uh, of course, Dairy Business Association and uh, cheesemakers and other dairy processors are certainly behind it. Uh, so uh, in Wisconsin, uh, dairy is the number one agricultural uh, product in the state. It's about half of what uh, the gross uh, revenue of agricultural products in the state are is milk. So it's very important to the dairy community to have clarity uh, in labeling. So if, if passed, would it just impact there in the state of Wisconsin, or how would, how would that work? I mean, there's still obviously what's, what people see as far as national advertising and things like that. Right, and what I understand is that under federal interstate commerce rules, 
a number of other states in your region would have to follow suit to become law in Wisconsin. Uh, there's uh, similar laws passed in North Carolina and Maryland, which, of course, aren't in our region. So this is just the beginning. But I'm hoping that the um, plant-based products that are using the cheese and milk label uh, would pay attention and uh, understand that it's not acceptable. Um, I've always thought when they, somebody puts a, a milk label on a product that's not, they're uh, trying to take advantage of a good product. So um, I think they have to come up with their own marketing scheme instead of pirating uh, something that has always had a good reputation. Yeah, imitation may be the sincerest form of flattery, but it's also costing you uh, and your industry business, right? Absolutely. Uh, the dairy industry uh, certainly has been struggling the last uh, five years, and uh, we don't need any, any more uh, trouble to market our product. We work very hard to get it marketed, both uh, fluid milk and cheese and other dairy products, so we would like to be able to do that without... Uh, other businesses uh, trying to use our use our good name, and of course everybody tries to market their product. We've learned that certainly being in the in the cheese business also, and and uh, if you go down the the uh, aisles at a grocery store, you certainly have a choice of whatever you want. So we're just trying to make it very clear that we have milk and uh, plant based products are not milk. Or cheese. We're talking with Tom Crave, president of the Dairy Business Association in Wisconsin. Tom, uh, we've heard a lot about the struggles of the uh, the dairy industry overall, and in your state of Wisconsin. Give us a, kind of a, a, a overview of the industry right now. What's going on in your state? Well, there's been a uh, change, I guess I would say, which there there always is. But we've lost a lot of dairymen who have been. Uh, beat up a little bit, or people that are reaching retirement that say, you know, good enough, I'm pulling the pin, I've had enough, and um, a lot of them are single family operations that maybe don't have somebody to come in and take over. Uh, A lot of farms are still uh, plugging away that have maybe multi-generation members on the farm like ours. We have, uh, I have three nephews that are uh, young and ambitious and uh, bright, so they're they're interested in making this a career. And there's other farms like that also. So those are the ones that are really hunkering down and working hard to make good business decisions to uh, to, to keep going and and try to make a a living for their families. But there are many that are, like I said, single families that have said, "I've had enough." Well, Tom, thank you for being with us. Uh, we'll, we'll watch the, the progress of this legislation on, on labeling and, uh, and look forward to talking with you again soon and get an update. Okay, thank you very much. Very good. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. That's Tom Crave, president of the Dairy Business Association and a farmer and cheesemaker in Wisconsin. With that, we need to wrap it up for today. Coming up tomorrow, uh, we're going to get the latest on the spread of African swine fever and uh, more of an update on the efforts underway to keep it out of the United States. 
That and more coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.